0: You are listening to the Power of Why podcast.
1: It's funny when you are in in in, uh, in different environments, which are more regulated, there are more processes and all that. You you almost like dream of a place like Netflix, no? Where, mm-hmm. where you basically try to drive to the same output through leadership accountability, right? Because for the most part, that, that is what matters, no? Um, so when you get to, into a place like Netflix, it's funny even if you find the the environment that you would love is is it gives you a bit of pause, like, uh, gosh, how a company that is already reasonably big can operate with so many uh, little uh, checks and balances, no? So so you, you said it right, half of it is the people that you hire. We hire the best players in the market. Yeah. And, uh, and those best players are fully formed adults, right? Uh, so when you bring these people, they, they already can know how to operate. They have high standards. They are accountable for what they do. So now there is a way by which we talk to people around what works, what doesn't, which is through feedback. We do believe people, good people, learn through feedback. And that's why the, the, the feedback culture at Netflix is so 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 important
0: hi everyone welcome to another episode of the power of why my name is naomi haile and today i am here with sergio ezama sergio how are you doing today
1: i'm good uh, naomi and thank you for having me today
0: thanks for being here it's a friday We're about to head into the weekend and I'm really excited to have Sergio here. Sergio came to speak with us last year at one of my talent management classes at Columbia. And I was really, you know, I admire the work that he does. I was very intrigued by some of his work and life philosophies. So I really wanted to have him on the show. So for the audience, Sergio is Netflix's chief HR officer, uh, recently joining the team in September 2021. Previously, Sergio was at PepsiCo for about 20 years in various HR leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Sergio is a lawyer by education and spent some time working as a labor lawyer for a number of different firms, joined Ericsson as head of labor relations in Spain, and the main reason that I wanted to have Sergio here was to discuss some of his HR and philosophies around work, around culture, around accountability, what this looks like at Netflix now, um, and what it's really been like to navigate your new role, what it means to navigate life decisions, work decisions, um, with a set of values that you can kind of come back to and rely on. So thanks for being here again. Um, I'd love for you to, to kick us off by talking a little bit about your origin story and what kind of came before the work that you do today?
1: Yeah, so hi, everyone again. So I I come from Spain, which probably you can guess from my very thick uh, Spanish uh, accent. Uh, So I'm originally from Bilbao. That's a very small, it's just the 10th city in uh, by population in in Spain, Uh, in the north close to the border with uh, with uh, with France, Uh, being raised in a very traditional uh, Spanish uh, family, uh, uh, three brothers. So you would imagine my, my childhood was very entertaining fighting <laughs> them uh, most, yeah. uh, most of the time. The only one that decided to work um, out of Spain, even out of Bilbao. Uh, so the, the, the Basque uh, people are very proud of their origins and they normally wouldn't live the area because quality of life is high and, and all mm. that. Uh, and family is very important. Uh, and somehow I, I, I took a different path, uh, which is still my parents are figuring out why. Like that's still <laughs> the question when I go back for Christmas or summer, like, why do you want to be out of here and why you are in the US and you know those those good things. Uh, but yeah, happy, happy childhood, uh, you know, normal kid. Uh, going through middle school, high school, I uh, mm-hmm. loved the sports and then, you know, started lower school and, and my career began.
0: That's right. I was curious because you transitioned from, it seems the same world, right? Labor law, yeah. now you're working in HR in the talent space. I was wondering how in those specific moments as you were transitioning, how yeah. you made decisions for what the next right move would look like for you.
1: Yeah, and, and, and listen, I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, people, I, I admire people who explain their careers with a lot of thought, <laughs> and it was always irrational. And like, yeah. I, I must admit, it was not uh, the case for me, at least in the in the early formative years, uh, mm-hmm. I picked uh, law school, because my two older brothers were uh, doing uh, business administration and economics. So like, and I didn't want to do the same. So I picked law because it seemed interesting enough that was the only rational there i loved law school because i think it gives you a good uh, way of think about opportunities the systems thinking is, is a skill mm-hmm. that you acquire in law school that then is very portable into any profession as i joined the uh, the labor market i was 21 22 uh, years old you really don't know where your passion is uh, or even what you're good at uh, so i did start with with labor law, uh, which I liked a lot. I was good at it. But, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, And as I joined uh, Ericsson and I started to be part of an HR department and see other things, I I found myself in a place where I I, I both uh, was good at and I had a lot of passion about. Mm -hmm. And then I stayed there for the following 25, uh, 25 years. I still don't know. And I wonder, well, I found the HR, but like I'm an IHR person or like, am I missing something? Should I have mm-hmm. trade marketing or finance? So th- th- there is a bit of that, but but sometimes, or most of the times, is it's always a combination of intuition, um, mm-hmm. what you are good at, um, and sometimes how you think of even competition. no. Um, as you go up in the organization, okay, uh, there are less jobs to go to. Who am I competing against? Uh, and how I differentiate myself? So, there, there are a bunch of factors that come into consideration, but only as you, I guess, become older and hopefully wise, you are more thoughtful about it. Uh, early in your career, is a bit more trial and error, intuition, and, and a bit of, of luck. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which no one really talks about often. But you you mentioned being at PepsiCo for twenty five years. This is also something that we don't see often. Like I think the stat for especially, you know, young people coming up now is that they'll have a very non traditional, which is now a traditional career path with yep. maybe changing roles every one, two years. What was it that what was it that kept you there for that long? What was it about their, the company, the values?
1: Well, the, the company is a very good company. You, know? you know, it, it has a brand that, that you can relate to, uh, you relate to the products. So any, any household would have either, no, Tropicana or Gatorade or, or Lay. So like you have grown with those products in, in, in your house uh, is from a values standpoint is a very good company. So, so doing, doing well as a business, but doing well for the community is, 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 mm-hmm. is very, very important. And, and definitely I can, I can relate to those things. But for the most part, I stayed because while I was, go, I was in the same uh, organization, it didn't seem like being in one organization. And that's a combination of two things. One, PepsiCo being very, very large and uh, I'm, I'm being reasonably uh, decentralized so businesses do not look exactly the same and then being able to move uh, quite a bit so i think uh, every on average every 18 months i would change jobs but and, and those would be very different jobs sometimes it was the uh, the market type uh, being in a developed market or in a developing an emerging market Sometimes it was a change of location, uh, moving around uh, from Spain to Switzerland, Russia, US, those things. Sometimes it was a business challenge. So it never felt like being in the same place. Uh, And that's why I stayed all uh, all, all those years. The one thing that you really missed probably is the curiosity for their industries. Right, when you are for so long in one space in, in in this case in CPE you wonder you know what is it to be in pharma or there? financial services or entertainment and that's that's a, a bit what you what you miss but but again it, it was 20 years but it felt like five years
0: Wow and so the, that last piece that you mentioned was that part of the reason why you explored trying out the entertainment space moving into Netflix like what was very recent transition, what, what was that like for
1: you? I think It was a combination of things. I think it was probably a bit of a middle age uh, crisis. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 but you reflect on, on okay, if I'm gonna stay 10, 15 years more in the marketplace, uh, doing this type of very intense jobs, uh, do I wanna stay in, a, in, a, in an industry, in a company I know, and I already can predict how those five, 10 to 15 years are gonna mm-hmm. be, or do I wanna challenge myself? And if you go with the latter there are are a few things that you that you uh that you take into consideration one is if i'm gonna change i need to change for something that is worth it Mm -hmm. and that's where netflix the combination of uh, the industry the brand where the company is in terms of maturity and 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 growth projections the the unique culture that it has and i would say the unique way of doing hr that it has as a very compelling uh, a very compelling thing so you say if i'm gonna change what there's no better place than Netflix. Um, now it's a big change, and you know sometimes you also need to you know, talk to the people you love and yeah. you know have a conversation about it. Because uh, reality is that when you join a company like Netflix uh, in a new industry, etc., the first year normally is very rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, rough because I don't know maybe there are other smarter people than than me, but like uh, it's a lot of hard work. And and you know it's like going back to college. You need to study the industry. You need to study the company. You need to put a lot of hours to you not know, fake it until you make it. You no, know? and and uh, and the family and those around you they should be okay with that because you are gonna take that time away from them to focus on Netflix for uh, for a while.
0: Yeah, I know with this transition also like right now Netflix has what about ten thousand people within the company. You also shared that about forty percent of your workforce right now kind of entered during the pandemic in the last two years. I'm wondering with a company like Netflix that is definitely talked about as shaking up the tech space in terms of you know yep. approach to culture and the way that you folks do work what did what did that look like for you coming into the organization during a time that is very different from what we're used to
1: yeah and and listen i I've been trying to uh almost like forget that there is a pandemic. I, I've been traveling almost every week. I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to meet people in person um, because I think when you join a company uh, to get a, a, a real feel for the individuals, the way they think and build some rapport, I don't think that uh, technology uh, is, is the right environment. It helps. The one thing with technology that it's very easier to connect. Right. No, and, and that certainly helps. Uh, but I don't think there is anything that that, that works better than the, being in the same room uh, to connect with people for the first time. No? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been trying to do that uh, almost every month. I spend two weeks in California. Uh, I've been already in Mexico, Brazil. Uh, singapore uh, uh amsterdam madrid so i've been i've been moving around quite a bit trying to again, get a feel for the organization so that that has helped quite a bit and and actually i think for new people even when, when when we get out of the pandemic and and we all will be more flexible so being in the office will not necessarily be the dominant uh workplace um when you join a company though i think seeing uh, folks in action is something that again ca- can't can't be replaced. And then there's also something about the type of business that we run. Now on the creative side, people need to be you can you can go through a creative process uh, via Zoom, right? Because it hits the definition of, you know, very interactive process, not very well defined. So you know, being in the same space uh, is probably a bit of a better thing. Same on the technology side of things, um, where even those jobs are more likely to, to, to operate well in a remote environment. You know, when we are evolving our algorithms, or we are trying to create new user experience for our members, you know, again, going back to the office makes a lot of sense. So I think uh, being there is, is going to be important. And it has been for me, again, as, as I'm trying to learn the Netflix way, and I am trying to connect with people at a very human at a very human level.
0: Yeah, and I think that the, the approach you've taken has allowed you to do it in a way that is going to integrate you well into the company and build rapport, as you'd mentioned, build relationships. There's a lot of content out there around Netflix's culture And kind of this, you know, culture of freedom and accountability, which you've talked about. There's also, uh, I think, from 2007, Reed Hastings, the the founder, CEO, put together this like PowerPoint deck that kind of talks through how you folks operate. And it it breaks a lot of the norms of, of what typically the corporate world looks like. And so the emphasis for your teams is, you mentioned hiring the right people, there are very few rules. Obviously, you know, there are rules in in areas where it does matter, like, you know, sexual harassment policies, like all of these other areas. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it comes to things like performance management, um, and some of these things that are definitely under your realm, um, can you talk us through some of the the things that have been shocking, maybe um, coming from, you know, different environments and then yeah. really making things work at Netflix for you. Yeah,
1: well, it's, it's funny when you're in in in, uh, in different environments, which are more regulated, there are more processes and all that, you, you almost like dream of a place like Netflix, now where, mm-hmm. where you basically uh, try to drive to the same output through uh, leadership accountability. Mm-hmm right because for the most part that that is what matters no? um, so when you get to, into a place like netflix it's funny even if you find the the environment that you would love is is it gives you a bit of pause like uh, gosh how a company that is already reasonably big can operate with so many uh, little, uh checks and balances no um, so so you, you said it right half of it is uh the people that you hire right um, and uh, I know you've read the, the, the culture memo, I think we are very explicit when we say we hire the best players in the market yeah. and uh, and those best players are fully formed adults. Right. Uh, so when you bring these people, they already come, they already, can, they already uh, know how to operate, they have high standards, they are accountable for what they do. So it's not that you need to regulate their behavior through policies. no. Um, so now there is a way by which we talk to people around what works what doesn't which is through feedback right which also in the culture memo uh comes explained very very thoroughly so we do believe people good people learn through feedback and that's why the the, the feedback culture at netflix is so 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 important and then at the end of the day we hold people accountable for outputs yeah Right, so in, uh, I'm gonna give you a, like an HR example. Right, so in most companies, to arrive to uh, to a compensation for an employee every year, you would start with first. I'm gonna set objectives for that individual. So there's this lengthy process to arrive to set of objectives. Uh, then you have all these conversations around objectives that you need to formalize, enter data in a system. At the end of the year, there's some sort of calibration. People get a grade, can be a number, can be a letter that goes into a merit matrix, uh, gives you a range of salary increase and then you pick something in that range and then that is the increase that someone gets. So uh, that is a, it's a fine model in large organizations if you wanna uh, try to minimize risk and consistency is the one factor that matters to you. There's an alternative way of doing this, which is you know any manager at Netflix, this is the amount of money that you can spend uh, in your team when it comes to compensation and these are some of the parameters that, that we are going to give you, which for the most part are three questions. How much any employee could get in a similar job in the market? Uh, how much money would you be happy to pay this individual if he or she would resign? So, how much would you pay to keep him or her? And what would be the cost to replace this individual? So, we we'll give three points of reference, which is context. And then people have a bit of a target, amount of money they can spend. And that's it. They, they again we expect them to make sound judgment calls without us trying to control them right uh which is the famous point that steve jobs brought about why are you hiring great people to then telling them Tell what them
0: to them do, what do. do yeah so
1: we, we are trying to do that uh which again it, it, it feels super nice but at the scale it becomes complicated no so again that's why hiding well and making sure that people exercise judgment which for the most part is a function of how uh you give context uh, in a good way. That's how we are thinking of, uh, of all these things.
0: Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend, take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. Has this transition felt very natural for you coming in?
1: N- no. It's not. It's not natural. I always speak to when you are in these jobs. There are there are four dimensions that you are connecting all the time: the industry, your your organization, uh, your structure, and your people, for the most part, no. Uh, to simplify, and when you've been for twenty some years in the same industry company, like connecting those dimensions is like breathing. You don't think about it. Mm-hmm. It like, comes natural to you. Um, moving into Netflix. Uh, connecting those. First of all, I need to learn those dimensions and then I need to connect right. them is a mechanical exercise. It's like I need to remind myself of breathing, otherwise I'm going to die. So, mm-hmm. so again, it's, it's going back to it's hard work. You need to really catch up with people who've been operating in that environment for uh, for many, many years or, or maybe using the sports. I've been playing tennis for 20 years. <laughs> now I'm playing basketball. So yeah, it takes, uh, it takes a bit of time.
0: Mm-hmm. There's, um, I think, performance management, that was the kind of example that you shared. A lot of companies really, like, struggle with performance management. What is the best way? How can we iterate? And so, basically, taking that structure, turning it on its head and saying, this is what we want to do in terms of building context is really interesting. I'm wondering, when it comes to feedback, feedback Mm -hmm. is, I find, also very tricky Is there a a framework for how to give feedback so that maybe resentment doesn't exist in the culture and, and there's a way to do it properly? Yeah,
1: listen, there, there are I don't know, probably too many uh, feedback frameworks now uh, that we'll talk about, you know, setting the context, uh, explaining what you saw or perceived, providing an alternative way of thinking of it and, and doing all this in a timely manner. Uh, so, so we do have a version of, uh, of that. I think what is differential in Netflix is the expectation of giving and receiving feedback on an ongoing basis.
0: Hmm. So again,
1: most companies will articulate feedback around formal processes. So you have your performance management end of the year uh, performance discussion, right? And your I manager know. will sit down with you very formally and tell you what he or she are seeing. Uh, then you have 360 cycles and things like that. Uh, so it's almost like you give feedback with just around the tool, unless in between those things, uh, we do have some of those tools. But for the most part, we drive and uh, very clearly that the expectation is that on a daily basis we give feedback. And, and is is a behavior that has been modeled from read all the way down for many, many years. And so it's a bit of a shocking thing. So I remember the first few months. So maybe I was in a meeting or in a town hall with many people. And then like a few hours later, someone, two, three layers down in the organization will send me an email, I, listen, can, can we connect and say, yes, of course. And then this person will say, listen, you said this or thought of that. And I and listen, let me let me give you a piece of feedback and that's new, that's refreshing and new because normally more traditional organizations you know people down in the organization they don't feel like they can do that don't feel super comfortable and here is amazing how often it happens and how good the feedback is it's, it's, it's very very relevant but, but again it's not it's not about the model itself because any model is very similar is is the culture of feedback that you have created through repetition and repetition and, and, and leadership uh, role model.
0: Yeah, that's really uh, fascinating. And I'm glad that you folks don't focus too much on the process as opposed to focusing on the individual that's kind of right in front of you that you're working with. There are a lot of articles out there now, like about one specifically that came out by Sherm, that they've anticipated that, you know, HR professionals are really struggling with retaining talent right now, that it's going to be the biggest challenge in, in 2022. Yeah. Is, this is something that you insinuated during our uh, class session, that this is not necessarily something that has been a huge challenge at Netflix. Can you kind of articulate why that is and kind of what you've seen internally as well?
1: Yeah, so, so I, I think I, I, uh, I, I did uh, I refer to that because by the numbers, our attrition is rather low. Yeah. Right. So, so I think we have a total attrition in the company around 10%. Half of it, more or less, is voluntary attrition. So that, that is a very healthy uh, uh, indicator. Um, so, so that's that's on the one hand. I think when we when we listen about the great resignation, mm-hmm. I think uh, the, a bit the risk is that we stay at that level uh, versus debugging uh, what is uh, what is behind. And the reality is that there are a number of factors that can impact you depending on which industry and company you have you know? So there is a bit great retirement rather than great resignation. There are definitely people uh, between 50 and 60 that really have thought about life and say, Listen, you know what, I'm going to retire or, or, or take it easy. That, that has been by the numbers a large part of the of the uh, of the great resignation. Then um, in in other industries which are more labor intense and have uh, uh, probably not so well paid jobs, uh, uh, some of the stimulus coming from the government uh, in the form of the checks, etc., has you know people could stay at home, still right. uh, live decently, and, and maybe not enter the market uh, because maybe they thought it was risky or or whatever. So. But that has certainly impacted some of the uh, companies which uh, rely more on the front line. Um, it has happened mm-hmm. a lot, no? Uh, and then, for the most part, what we have seen is uh, the, the company uh, rebouncing. and and with that, you know, companies getting into growth mode and and being very aggressive in the marketplace. That's that's real, but it's not as strange. I mean, this happens normally with economic cycles. Right. Well you know sometimes you you are on the growth and like everyone is fighting for for the best uh for the best talent we believe we are still very uh attractive we believe the brand is attractive the industry is attractive uh our culture is attractive our compensation is attractive uh, so yeah other companies are great and some will succeed uh taking talent from us but I th- we believe we are we are reasonably well well positioned mm-hmm.
0: and I think also having um Curious, also having a culture like this that's really clear about how they work, who they want to work here, just to make sure that it's aligned, you go through a pretty rigorous recruitment process. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I have some questions about it. I'm wondering if you can just give a high-level overview of what that recruitment process is like, 10 to 14 interviews, um, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so, so uh, well, it, it, it starts with managers reflecting on, on what they need. Now, so, so uh, again, typically companies will start with the job description. Now with this, you know, these are the accountabilities, role reports into this other role, and this is what we need. We need MBAs and MBAs of experience and, and all that now. So, so we have a bit of that, obviously, because you need to have a bit of a couple of parameters, but for the most part, the managers will, will, uh, will try to codify what exactly do I need uh, in the job, in the context of myself and my team and the agenda there's a bit of a richer approach. And that is the document that we would share with people around us, right? Uh, so, so I'm hiring now, for example, in Asia for a head of HR. So I, 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 I wrote what I thought was needed from a team composition, from an agenda standpoint, etc. I share that with my own HR team, uh, my leadership team, I did the same with the regional uh, Asia team so they can enrich the document. Uh, so, so we, so we at, at the briefing stage, I guess, we do that a, a bit differently. And then because hiding the right people is so important to us, that's where we spend a lot of time understanding that fit. No? Um, so it's not only that we have uh, a lot of interviews, uh, it's two, sometimes it's ten, 10 and more, uh, but it is how everyone comes ready to to those mm-hmm. interviews. So we do. I think we do a, a, a very good job articulating for every interviewer, which are really the points we're after.
0: Yeah. in a way that
1: is not repetitive. Now, sometimes uh, when in you know, other companies, uh, interviewers go and talk to a candidate, they all will ask the same questions, no? Okay, okay. tell me what you've done and uh, go through the CV. And uh, now we are, are very good at, you no, know, no, uh, do go and go after these two points or these other three points. And then we yeah. have a very w- good way of sharing feedback along along the process. Um, and I think also the other thing that I think we do particularly well is it's almost like giving the same time to the candidate to know us. Something that I do with when I interview people and I have, for example, an hour, I would say the first half an hour is going to be for me. The second half an hour is going to be for you. Mm. Right? Uh, because uh, you know, when you're hiring people, I think that it's important that they know you as well as you want to know them. No? Right. Uh, and sometimes we say it, but we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why this split of time, I think it helps. It's a symbolic thing to do, but it's also, it helps to have more of a conversation rather than one way type of uh, interview.
0: Right. Because the candidate is also seeing is Netflix a place that I want to work at. Right. And
1: oh, for sure. But, but even even yeah. if you even if you are confident on your position, say, listen, I'm, I'm, I pay good money, I'm a good company. I think it's just out of respect. And if, if then if the notion is we being fully formed adults you need to treat them as such from the beginning even when they're not part of the company and we're, we're gonna get into conversation where yeah i'm gonna get to know you but equally important is for you to get to know me
0: because otherwise mm-hmm.
1: it's not gonna it's not gonna work so.
0: right absolutely and i think the other thing that you mentioned also was that they they meet the most senior members first in the interview process as opposed to starting more junior and, and moving up as well, which I thought was a very interesting um, integration into that process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's uh, again, it's good. It's, it, it speaks to the involvement of senior leadership, yeah. uh, which I think is also a, an important sign even for, for for candidates, but it also helps with uh, the process to be more efficient. You don't want to uh, spend a, a lot of time on a candidate, that then 10 interviews later, someone says, oh, no, I don't, I don't see it. So you have this early calibration you know enough of the candidate to say, yeah, I can see this working then goes through panels and then you go back again at the end of the of the process to be a bit more intentional on, on some of the points that you're going to go deep on. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a wonderful uh, thing to do, honestly.
0: I had a question about the inclusion piece of this, because I know you yeah. folks have an inclusion team as well. And as you're recruiting how do you ensure that you're not hiring the same types of people like that fit the culture i think the culture fit aspect of it yeah that you are bringing people who can contribute to an organization with the same set of values um but do you find like you may be missing out on talent that won't fit within the culture what does that look like for you
1: yeah when you recruit you always have the feeling that you are missing on talent it's not hard it's not hardcore science in the end now. So I'm, I'm sure we have missed some great people. I'm sure like that does that as, as, a, as a baseline uh, statement. Uh, I think our culture is ample enough. I think it's not, uh, we are not taking it to the detail, right? And things like we don't use psychometrics, for example, personality tests and things like yeah. that, where I think sometimes, depending on how far you're to take it, you can get a bit of what you are trying to, to describe, which is like you just hire one type, right? So when you hire with principles in mind and values in mind, I think still you can hire very different people. And I think for the most part, that is, that is the case. The more you take down that into personality traits and other things, the more you, you get into the risk of just bringing one profile into the company which from an inclusion standpoint is not great. It might be still okay from a representation standpoint, but from different voices and, and, and even the, the willingness to incorporate others perspective is, is not great because you just have one type, no? Uh, so it's something that we, uh, that we care a lot, a lot about, but by the numbers from a representation standpoint, we, we are doing uh, well, uh, better than the industry. But again, that is that speaks only to representation Right.
0: And you've integrated a lot of different benefits, policies within the company to to focus on that inclusion piece as well. And I think also the emphasis that it's everyone's, it's part of everyone's role to think like this.
1: No, no, for sure. I mean, but this is a very important uh, topic, I mean, because I think many companies have these um, uh, diversity and inclusion teams or inclusion and diversity, depending on how they are called, and they they build these standalone infrastructures, right? Right. which I think it makes a lot of sense uh, from the perspective of you are, you are sending a message. Now it's a statement. Uh, right. It's symbolic that I have those teams that are visible because this matters to me. So I, that, that is tremendous value. But also I think that uh, we will not make a strides unless you aim for integration of IND because it mm-hmm. can be that, you know, this is, I have a team on the side doing IND for me. and D is main, being done by every manager, every individual making decisions day in, day out with inclusion lenses. Every time I hire, I promote, I exit, I give feedback mm-hmm. that you need to have that here, you know, in your, in your brain, in your mindset, in your attitude. And that's only, only then I will get where we should be. Um, so the notion of integration is, is, I believe is critical in this space.
0: How have you folks built capacity in that area? Has it strictly been with training and development? Or were there more pronounced structural things that you folks integrated?
1: Well, it's a, it's a combination, right? So there's a lot of communication that goes because you need to keep it top of mind uh, for everyone. Uh, there's a lot of localization that goes into it uh, because diversity or, or, or inclusion can be uh, can be one thing in the US, but very different in Japan very different in Brazil. So you need to understand what exactly is that you need to act on in those particular different uh, different geographies. This capability, because mm-hmm. not, not everyone is either comfortable or knows well how to incorporate IND lenses into their, their work. Right. Mm-hmm. And and there is, um, even if we don't want to have processes, sometimes you need to uh, incorporate some of this into the hardware of, of the company. So. I alluded before to the, uh, how we uh, set the compensation every year. We run pay equity analysis at the end of the of the cycle to understand what if there is unconscious bias in the organization and there are some groups which are not uh, paid as they should when you uh, account for legitimate drivers of of compensation. So looking at people with similar tenure, uh, similar jobs, and things like that, right? So so there is also that way that you can look at to make sure that that you are being inclusive uh, enough as you run your business.
0: Yeah, so you've talked about the pay equity um, analysis where you have software that will run that for you and then you close any gaps at the end of the year, which is great that there are tools like that out there in the market now. I wonder if we can sh- switch gears a little bit you know, as we wrap up the episode, talk a little bit about you and how you think about, because this is the power of why, how you think about purpose, throughout your career and throughout your life? Is this something that, you know, you develop throughout the years? What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, and, and depend how you depends how you define purpose, no? Because um, it, it can be at many, many levels. You can think of purpose in relation to the community, no, yeah. and, and and work for companies uh, who have a strong moral compass. Mm-hmm. I do believe both uh, uh, Epsico and Netflix and before Ericsson have, so you feel proud of where they stand in relation to the world and the community. So again, in my case, it's been a bit easy, because again, these are really strong companies in that sense. Uh, Then there's your own purpose, which connects with values that you have. So I, I, again, I've been lucky enough to be in companies where their set of values, the things that are important uh, for them are important for me. Like a, a sense of are you making an impact. Uh, this idea of not taking ourselves very seriously, right? Because you know this is this is just work, and no one dies if there is no Netflix in a way, no. Or no one dies if Pepsi will not be available on the shelf, no. So you need to look at these things with a health of, with a degree of of uh, of perspective. And and then there are there are the 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 values that you look at when you make decisions, which we also talked about in the class, and and, and that has been very helpful to me. Uh, going back to this idea of I, I didn't have a plan when I when I left the school, no, and like then how I how I make decisions. And um, again, someone someone gave me this advice so like like write down the three things that really, really matter to you. And I always said I need to have fun. I can't go to a place where I'm not enjoying myself and enjoying the people around. I need to learn something because I'm, I'm intellectually curious and I really, really need to get something out of this. Um, I, I need to be able to make an impact I can't, I can't sit in just to keep the, the chair warm. Like I need to feel that mm-hmm. the business, the community is better because of the things I do. and all this, I need to make uh, sense in the context of my bigger family plan, because family is the one thing that matters in those things I, they've been written in stone for the last twenty some years, and they, they are super helpful
0: when mm-hmm. you
1: get offers and you're not really clear and then okay let's let 's go one by one. And even sometimes even writing it down right and that, that is a i think that's a, a good a good exercise
0: that exercise sounds like an investment in you know your development how you make decisions what moves make sense i'm wondering if there were other forms in, of investment that you made in yourself um doesn't necessarily need to be like money or anything but what are some investments that you've made that have really helped you kind of get to where you are today
1: yeah, um, so it, it changes over time. Uh, so uh, when I was younger, the, the investment is, you know, I'm gonna leave the leave the world. I'm gonna have an international career, and that obviously is an investment because you are you are taking time away from your family, uh, your parents, your, your siblings, and all that. So, so that that was one. Then there was a, between five and ten years ago, I thought I, I I need to recycle myself a little bit, and going back to school and things like that. So. I, I took the uh, general management program at Harvard, so that was a four months investment and a lot of work that went into into it. Because I, I thought I, I thought it was right. Now that I'm I'm becoming uh, a bit older, you know, you need to invest in yourself. So having time to exercise, sleep well, all those things matter a lot. Especially when you have a high intensity type of job, it yeah. is funny. When I was reading, really, I I had this book of um, the corporate athlete, just a book that has been there forever, like the last. And I remember seeing it when I was uh, 20 some early 30s and like, and almost like, gosh, what is this? And now, now I see it. Now I can see the benefit. And, you know, it's, it's investment also into, uh, into, into that. And then the, the, the last investment is always the time with the family. Yeah. And it might sound cheesy uh, and things like that. You need to be grounded. And you need to be grounded in the things that really, really matter. And uh, I think, as, as I also said in, in the class, you can have many jobs and there are many great companies out there, but you just have one family, right? So, so that, that should be time and an investment that is always very front and center for, for everyone. Mm
0: -hmm. And a priority, right? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that was the definitely a lot of things stood out when you came to speak with us. But that was the one thing that I constantly referred back to as well. And I think it resonated with me and a lot of people in the class too. And curious about as you look into the future, when it comes to HR, Mm -hmm. um, how we support talent, how we support people, what is the most interesting thing that you're seeing forthcoming, or things that you are excited about in this in this space?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm curious about a couple of things. Uh, one is how companies can get better at personalization at the scale, right? Because with the scale, uh, you know, the default uh, mentality is to to drive consistency through policies that treat right. almost everyone the same. And obviously, yeah, different cohorts and different needs, and there's some differentiation, but. I think that value will be generated more greatly if we are able to get way more granular uh, Mm -hmm. with individuals uh, uh, and and in terms of what they they do need compensation, uh, development, how they think of their lives in relation to work, all that. So how you uh, achieve that almost like happy medium between scale and personalization. Mm. is something that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time reflecting on. And, and the other one is on how we can accelerate uh, the use of data and analytics to bypass the need of process.
0: And mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. like the,
1: the, the, the idea of context, not control. So how we can take context to the next level through more privileged insights and data and analytics. So we avoid the temptation to default again to work process. Uh, that's again, something that mm-hmm. I'm thinking on these
0: days. Wow, and for this, the second piece, Um, building, you know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of companies maybe miss the boat in terms of building that, whether it's people analytics, but a a strong data, strong data teams um, Mm -hmm. to support a lot of decision-making. But I think that your culture also reinforces approaching uh, problems like this. You mentioned systems thinking at the beginning, um, which is, is really powerful. And not often incorporated within HR, right? Um, So really, really like the work that you're doing. And thank you, Sergio, for for being here today.
1: Fantastic, thank you.
0: Everyone, we will catch you in the next episode. This was an episode of The Power of Why. You can find the show notes at powerofwhy.co. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms.